So those of you who are married or those of you who have dated before know the time where you went and met the other side of the family. You remember the feelings that you felt, the anxiety you may have, and in some of your cases how that anxiety was quadrupled when you left, and you remember everything about it. I'm blessed to have great in-laws. Uh, there, was, there was anxiety, but it was quickly put to rest. But uh, there was one guy that, that I was a little bit uh, intimidated by, and that was Grandpa Jack. And I want to tell you, it's not because of anything he did wrong, but everything that he did right, that he kind of intimidated me. Jack was, was loud. He was loud because he couldn't really hear if he wasn't. And so he was loud, but Jack was loud about the right things. Jack talked about Jesus constantly. The first time I met Jack was at the furniture store and that, that he owned and, and that he passed down to my mother-in-law. And, and we were sitting there and we were having a conversation and somebody walked in and Jack, in this big, loud, boisterous voice, greets them and tells them that they're, he's glad to see them. But before they left, he asked them if they went to church. If they did go to church, he asked them about their church. And before they left, he asked if he could pray for them. Every single person. Now, I was in college at the time, which means I was at the peak of my intellectual capabilities. And, and I knew that this wasn't how it's supposed to work anymore. This is not how you reach out to the postmodern world that we live in. And it just made me uncomfortable. He was so loud about his faith. And I realized I wasn't uncomfortable because he was loud. It was uncomfortable because it was convicting that I wasn't doing anything either. When it comes to evangelism, we get a little nervous. And we look around and we may see people who are outgoing and say, that just, that just couldn't be me. I kind of like to say that evangelism is what every Christian needs or knows needs to be happening. So every Christian hopes that every other Christian will do it. It's kind of how evangelism goes. We're not, we don't feel equipped. We don't feel like we know all the answers. We don't feel like we can stand up and give a defense. And so we hope that those who are smarter and brighter and more experienced than we are will go in and fill the spot where we should probably stand up. But the problem is that it's, it's all of us. It's what we're all called to do. We're in Colossians 1 today, and, and Paul concludes Colossians 1 kind of reminding, this of, uh, reminding us of this. He talks about the Lord's people. He says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. God has chosen us to be the ones who tell everyone else about this mystery that Jesus lives inside of us, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, that we have a relationship with God. This is what we are called to do. We point out, well, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians that we're all a different part of the body, and you know, I'm, I'm just not a mouth. I, I'm not one who's going to stand up and proclaim that that's just not my gift. But when Jesus left the earth, he said to go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't just say, hey, those of you who are qualified, go and do this. It's basically anyone who's coming after me, this is what you're supposed to do. And that scares us, it makes us a little anxious, but it's what we are called to do. And so what we want to do over the next three weeks is make you realize maybe just a few things you can say to people who are lost or who are struggling, and some questions to ask. Listen, if we were waiting to be the one who had all the answers to evangelize, we might as well shut these doors, because we're not going to have all the answers. We'll never have all the answers. Some of us have paid thousands of dollars to go to Bible school and not have the answers. 
but we're not called to have all the answers. Maybe it starts with asking the right questions. And so over the next three weeks, Weston and I are going to walk you through this. The first question we should ask is, can I pray for you? And I'll admit that the first time, if you had shown me this three, four, or five years ago, coming out of Bible college, I was like, this is what you don't want to say, because all we hear now is how we just need to live our life, how we just need to be an example. But the Bible says, how can they believe unless they have heard, and how can they hear unless someone tells them? There has to be someone who speaks up. Now, here's the thing about prayer and about our faith in general. At the risk of sounding overly spiritual, we have allowed lost people to really miss out on experiencing some awesome and supernatural things. When we are afraid to say that there's something different about us or that we hold to something more, we allow people to miss out on what they are called to be and the relationship they're called to have with God. And prayer is a big part of that. So today I want us to walk through Colossians 1 and see exactly how we are to pray for people and then what prayer does for the person that we're talking to about God. Paul talks in verse 9. He has just gone through the, the church and he's talked about their faith and how they've grown. And so he says this, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of the darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We need to already be praying for those of, in our lives who are lost. We should already be praying for them and, and praying a specific prayer. The problem with our prayers is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just I think we're praying for the wrong thing. We look at someone who's lost and we pray, God, can you just make them quit drinking? God, make them quit having this relationship. God, make them change all of these things. And we're asking God, go in and change the circumstance when really God is the only agent of change. And he's the only one who can change the person. Note where Paul starts in his prayer. He says, we pray, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge in his, of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And then after that, he goes into how they should live a holy life. The truth is that without God, we're not going to live for any higher standard than what the world can offer us. There's the world and there is us, and they're not going to go hand in hand. The world lives for other things that the kingdom of God doesn't live for. And so we can't expect people to follow the ways of God unless they know God. Unless he redefines what is good and what is right and what is just, they'll never know what that is. And so a simple prayer that we can pray every single day for those who are lost around us is this. Is that God, make them think, you, think about you every day. Just one time today, God, just make them think about you. Help them to encounter you. Help them to have to wrestle with the question, who is God? Does God exist every single day? Because it is in that relationship that lives change. We need to be praying for that. 
And then when God makes us realize that today that's going to be you, we need to be ready to step up to the plate. Asking someone if we can pray for them is really a great way to evangelize. It's not just something that we do in our, on our own. It's something that is truly powerful. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Paul's writing this to a generation not that, who is very familiar with Jesus. He says Jesus was the visible thing that you could see of this invisible God that has always been. Jesus was everything that God is, and you were able to see him, and you've heard about him, and you know about him. And it would be so much easier to do evangelism if there were burning bushes popping up all over the place. It would be so much easier to do evangelism if Jesus did the sports on the evening news. It would be so much easier to do evangelism if you saw all of these things. If manna started falling from the sky in third world countries, this would be a great way to say, see, I told you so. But this Jesus who is the visible, who was visible, maybe not is not as visible now to those who are lost they look around they say where is your god in the midst of chaos and pain and sadness where is god when this happened or why does god allow this and it seems like god is once again invisible you see what we do when we pray is that we bring the invisible back into view by praying People can see that there is something different and that there is something more. This conversation that we are having, whether that person believes it's complete baloney or not, this conversation that we're having is something that is real and it's something that is tangible. It is visible and faith becomes visible when we say, how can I pray for you? I believe in this to the point that I want to ask you, well, how can I pray for you? And then it becomes visible. This thing that is completely nebulous for a lot of people called faith becomes tangible when we live it out in this way. Paul continues writing in verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You see, it's not just that we bring the invisible into view when we pray. When we pray, we live out the gospel. We live out the aftermath of the gospel. The truth is, without Jesus, we can sit in a room, we can sit in this church, we can sit at our kitchen table, and we can pray prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer, but there's this still chasm, uh, there's still this chasm between God and man, and there's nothing that's filling it. Only through Jesus and through the, the blood of Christ, through accepting Him as our Savior, do we have the opportunity to have that conversation with Jesus. Do we have that relationship with God? 
When we pray, we live out the aftermath of the gospel. The gospel unites God and man, and we have that opportunity. We preach the gospel every single time we tell someone we're going to pray for them. Because we say we have this relationship with God. It's not by anything that we have done, but it is what God has done through Christ. And folks, do you realize what that means? We as Christians, we we have this habit of minimalizing really cool things. Like, we have to go to church instead of we get to worship with people who are the body of Christ. Prayer is one of those things. There's this comedian at Summer in the Sun this year who talked about we only tell people that we're going to pray for them when bad things happen. Right? And he made this joke. He said, you know, somebody, you go to someone and they say, hey, uh, my son got this football scholarship. And you say, wow, that's great. And then you go to another one and they say, hey, my son got this football scholarship to the University of Kentucky. And they say, well, I'll pray for you. You know, <laughs> and, and, and he thought it was hilarious. I didn't. But, it, it, but, but that's, that's what they say. We're only going to pray for you when bad things happen. See, prayer is something more. Do we realize what prayer is? Prayer is sitting down across the table from the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God and having His full undivided attention. And if every one of us in this room at the very same time started the prayer, God would not be scatterbrained and God would not have to decipher what one person is saying what the other person is saying. We would all have God's undivided attention. That is what is so awesome about prayer. And we get to tell people that in the middle of this conversation with the most powerful, most important being that has ever been conceived, we get to sit down across the table from God and we're going to bring your name up. And we're going to talk to them, Him about you and what's going on in your life. When we pray, when we believe in prayer, we live out the aftermath of that gospel. But I truly believe that when we pray, when we believe in the prayers that we're going to say, we start paving the road for non-believers to begin their spiritual journeys. I truly believe it. Because once they see that there's something more, there's less of a leap for them when they come to faith. If, if all they see of our life is everything that they see in their own, they're not going to want to know if there's something more because it doesn't look like there's anything there. But when we say, how can I pray for you? When we believe in the prayers that we say, then people look at that and say, you know what, there might be something more here. And hopefully one day they're going to say, well, why don't I cut out the middle man? If they're convinced that this works so well, Why can't I give it a try? And all of a sudden, instead of giving a defense of your faith, instead of standing up and reciting every answer to every great question by simply asking the question, how can I pray for you, and then doing it, we have allowed people to start thinking about their own relationship with God, which is evangelism. I'll never forget Jack's, his visitation and his funeral. There's something about going to one of these when everyone who walks in says the same thing. Now, I've been to some and of really great people, and they, people share different experiences, and they've seen different sides of that person. But there was every single person who walked into that church knew that Jack loved Jesus. And as the night was winding down on visitation night, I'll never forget three women walked in, and as soon as they started walking in, they started crying. 
they saw Jack in the, in, in, the, in the casket, and they just started tearing up, and, and they started walking up. And I'll never, for remember, or never forget the conversation that they had. They said, hey, we're, we're the workers at McDonald's. And, and folks, Jack, every single morning, was the very first person in line for a McDonald's breakfast. Every single morning. Every single, and they said, well, once we saw that he wasn't there, we figured something had gone wrong. And, and so they talked about Jack, and you know what they said? They said every single time Jack would come there, he'd ask if we had gone to church, and he asked if he could pray for us. And these tears that were streaming down their face started to evaporate, and smiles appeared because they knew somebody was praying for them. Now, I don't know their spiritual journey. I don't know if they went to church. I don't know if they ever went to church. I don't know if they know Jesus. But I know in that moment when they walked in and they were terribly sad, the fact that they remembered that that man had faithfully prayed for them. And, and, and my father-in-law attests to the fact he got up 4 o'clock every morning and prayed for like four different counties of people every single day. He, he remembered to pray for them. And the fact that they knew that brought a smile to their face. And folks, we have that same opportunity. You see, I like to kind of imagine prayer as, as sitting down at the table with God and having a conversation with Him. And the truth of the matter is that there's a huge room full of tables. And each one has a name on it. And God is sitting at each one of those tables desperately hoping that the person whose name's on that is going to walk in today pull up a chair, and say, God, this is my first time, but can we have a talk? And folks, we have that opportunity to introduce people to prayer. It's not just this, this fluffy thing that we do. This is something that is real, that is powerful, that is beautiful, and it's for the world to know. And the beauty of it is, it only takes a question. No answers. So this week, I challenge each and every person once a day to tell someone they're going to pray for them. I'm going to challenge you to pray for them. And then I'm going to challenge you to tell them that you pray for them. Pray for them. Or tell them you're going to pray for them. Pray for them. Tell them that they pray. Every day. One day. One person a day. And can you imagine what it would feel like for someone who is desperate, who is hurting, to know that you care enough that when you're going to sit before the creator of the universe, you're going to bring their name up. Let's pray. God, so many times we take things for granted. We take things for granted that are really, really cool things. And the opportunity to talk to you is something that you died for. That you sent your son to die on the cross for. It's only through that that we have connection with you and community with you. And so, Father, may our prayers be a witness to this world. That you love them and that you want to have the same conversation with them. Father, embolden us. Help us to go out without any fear or anxiety and just know that all we have to do is ask someone, can we pray for them? And Father, if the answer is no, then we have something to pray about anyway. Father, we just ask that you would strengthen us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. 
thank you for being the God who did something about the gap between us and the God who loved us enough to save us. And we thank you that when we talk to you, we have your full, undivided attention. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The truth is that there is that chasm that exists between man and God, and without Jesus, then it's not fixed. And so if you've never made that decision in your life, we invite you to come forward and do that today. 